0: Testimonies amazing. Isn't God amazing? Come on. If God is amazing, let's give him some love this morning. We've been seeing these videos um, over the past few Sundays of these crazy testimonies of members of the body going out and just asking God, who do you want to bless today? And just giving him a word. And what we're doing in that is giving hope to our community. And by the way, if you're thinking, wow, that's really cool, I want you to know that that's for you. If you were saved yesterday or you were saved 30 years ago, we are all meant to go out and share the gospel and encourage people. Amen. So the title of the message today fits right into that. Ludicrous hope in a preposterous world. Y'all are going to get a vocabulary lesson, just so you know, today. Ludicrous hope. Ludicrous. So we're going to talk about that, but actually first, I want to share a little story with you. So I remember when I was a kid, um, and I grew up in a Pentecostal background, and always in the background at my house or my grandma's, wherever I was at, like uh, TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting, does anybody know? TBN Network? It's like a whole Christian channel. Does anybody know who Benny Hinn is? Okay. So, if you know who Benny Hinn is, if you don't, he was a famous evangelist preacher who was known for people falling out in his service, just swaths of people just falling over. Now, it might sound weird if you didn't grow up in that environment, but I was used to just sitting in a church and people just falling over. Um, but when I was a kid, we used to play Benny Hinn. Okay. <laughs> and um, and I usually I'm the oldest of all my siblings so I normally got to be Benny Hinn because that was the cool part and so I remember we would like get a mattress or a bunch of pillows on the floor and then and so I'd be Benny Hinn and then like the siblings would line up and they they as they would come I just you know slam them into the floor and be like in Jesus name and knock them over and each one, just down the line, in Jesus' name, just slam them into the floor. And then the funnest part was, when they tried to get up again, Benny Hinn was also known for saying double dose and knocking people back down, right? And so, double dose, so they're, they're struggling to get back up. I'm slamming their head, boom, double dose, boom, double dose. Just all, just, that was the game. I think we've had a few concussions. But you might be a Pentecostal kid if... <laughs> you know what double dose means. Anyway, that story served no purpose other than to make you laugh before I make you sad. Because <laughs> we're going to talk about the preposterous world. And I don't know about you, does anybody watch the news? Stop. The news is depressing. Although, my daughter, Phoenix, she was on the news once. That's the only time I enjoyed the news. She paints, and so they did a segment on her and her awesome artistic ability. But the preposterous world. We have a lot of crazy things going on. And the word preposterous, it means absurd, ridiculous. And I know a lot of, how many of you said, like, this world is insane. It's ridiculous. And I feel like the older I've gotten, like, the more... Ridiculous things seem, but I, I do want to point out to you: um, we should recognize whatever craziness is going on. Scripture has this to say in Ecclesiastes, chapter one, verse nine: "What has been will be again; what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun." So let me just tell you: there's nothing new. God is not wor- Hey, this has happened before. Same story, different day. Same story, different generation. Solomon, um, the wise, in this same passage, he actually said, there is no meaning to life. It's all vanity. That's a little depressing. can get you down. Like, what are we doing here then? But I'm going to expand on that later. So, but let's talk a little bit about... The preposterous, and I've got a list here. I, I only went back to the year 2000, so don't worry. I'm not going back, you know, to Cain and Abel or anything. But I've got a list here. It's depressing enough just going from 2000, but I'm going to go down a list as I list these things. The preposterousness of them all, the fear. I want you to just kind of think, the fear that went along with it, the panic, the, the not knowing what was going to come from it. What's next? We had 9-11. That was huge. We had, and this is within our country, okay? I'm not even doing global. We had a war with Iraq. We had Hurricane Katrina. We had the Virginia Tech shooting, Hurricane Sandy, the Sandy Hook shooting, the Boston Marathon bombing, the Charleston church shooting, and from that, racial tensions increase We have the Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage. We have the COVID-19 pandemic beginning. We had George Floyd's death and the beginning of the BLM movement. Then we had mandated nationwide shutdowns. Then we had mask mandates. We had vaccine mandates. Then the Ukraine invasion and our sanctions on Russia. Then we have the Supreme Court opinion on abortion. We now have rising inflation and possible economic recession. We had the Uvalde shooting. And since Uvalde shooting, when I wrote these notes, there's been like, I don't know how many other shootings. So it we are bombarded daily, weekly with these reports. We don't have time to recover from one before we hear of the next. Whether we're on the news, now you, you don't even, I don't watch the news, but I'm on social media and so... I find out all that from there, so you just can't get away from it. Each of these events comes with outcries, angry, impassioned debates, unfathomable emotions across the spectrum. And some of these events united us as a nation. I remember after 9-11, I was going to a little church, and right after 9-11, that church was packed with a bunch of new people. And just in hearing conversations after the services, the pastor and the leaders would greet them. It was just, they didn't know what else to do. There was such fear and unknowing of what would come out of that. It was good that it drove them to church, but I got to tell you, like within a month, they all dwindled back away. Some of those events divided us as a nation. And I think more often now when these happen, we do find that there's a lot of division on what what we think should be done about them. Some of these events united us as believers. They happened and we linked arms with other believers and prayed for our nation and prayed for our loved ones who were affected by these events. But some of them, and sometimes, divided us as believers, especially on the issue of abortion. That's a hot debate, even among Christians on one side or the other. These are nationwide things that affect us collectively as a nation. But let's bring it back into our personal sphere. All of these things listed, there's there's a similar foundation running of fear. What about big events in your own personal life that maybe you're being affected by fear, the potential pain associated with that. Maybe it's relationships, jobs, maybe it's in your ministry, health for young people, maybe it's something in school, friendships, maybe it's struggles in your home with your parents or family. For me, I remember, and I was thinking about what, you know, just being gripped with fear and hopelessness. I, um, I married my high school sweetheart back when I was 18. I met him when I was 15. It wasn't so sweet. <laughs> I call, I'm calling my high school sweetheart, but it wasn't so sweet. I was married for about three years, and it was a very uh, volatile, difficult relationship. Um, but he was actually the, the only one that I had ever dated, he, you know, and I just had... Stars in my eyes, and I dropped out of high school, got married, got pregnant. Kids, don't follow that example. Horrible, horrible idea. But it was very difficult. I was immature, wasn't ready to be married, neither was he. Um, and, it, and it just escalated, and boiled to the point where he said, I'm done. And um, he told me he needed a break. He's still on a break. <laughs> It didn't work out, but I packed my bag, packed my daughter. She was two at the time. Packed her bags, and he took me to my parents' house. and And he had a, a close friend that happened to be a female. He ended up dating her shortly after that. But so I had a feeling it wasn't going to reconcile. But I was hopeful in the beginning. I, I didn't really know what to do. I, the moment that I was dropped off at my parents' house, I'm sitting there, I, I went from being a teenager from my parents taking care of me to a teenager with my husband taking care of me, and I did not, um, I didn't have a job, I didn't have a driver's license, you know, and so I, I'm, my world was crumbling, and I spent about three days, um, I didn't move from the bed, I don't remember eating or even showering. I, I don't remember doing anything. It's pretty much zombie. And my mom finally, after the third day, she came to check on me. And um, I, I hadn't even spoken a word. Like, I, just, she came in to talk to me, and she was like, how are you doing? And I literally had not spoken a word for three days. So I could barely talk. Like, my vocal cords had to or something. And she had a Bible in her hand. She just sat on the edge of bed. She's like, look, I know that you threw your whole self into being married. And that was your life. She said, now throw yourself into God. Make that your life. See how that works out for you. almost feel like a Dr. Phil moment, like, how's that working for you? (laughs) See how that works. Try that. And she left the room. And um, I just kind of laid there for a minute just reflecting on what she said. I thought, well, this can't be my life. I can't live in this bed and waste away to nothing. I have a baby I do have to think about. So I pick up the Bible, open to the first page. What do I got to lose? In the beginning. That's where I start. So for the next seven days about, roundabouts, I spent about a week. Again, I didn't hardly emerge. I did at least shower. The family was thankful for that. <laughs> um, I came out to shower, but I went right back to the Bible, and I just paid all through the numbers, you know, the book of numbers, all the begats. I, didn't, I did not skip anything. Read through to the last page. Last page of Revelation. Amen. Amen. And I got dressed and I walked out of the room, had a meal, and there was something that sparked in me during that time. And God was just talking to me the whole time. It really wasn't about that I read the whole Bible, it was that it was all my focus was on God, what are you saying? Because I am hopeless and I need you. And subsequently from that, I started attending church with my mom, I became an assistant youth pastor, and my, I was running towards God with all myself. So my circumstance didn't change. Nothing was reconciled, still didn't have a license, still didn't have a job. I'm kind of not knowing as far as how, how do I proceed from here, what does my life look like? That didn't change. What did? Hope. I had hope. Hope. And so that leads me to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, I want to point out a couple things about this scripture. The first one is, it says this hope. So there's a differentiated hope. This hope. This type of hope. It will not lead. There's a promise in there. It will not lead to disappointment. Secondly, how do we know that? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit. So notice that there's a necessity here in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is necessary to empower and activate what God is saying here. So I want to go into um, another passage in Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 21 and I'm going to break this down. Now we, we were talking a little bit about hope and the first part of this passage as I was digging into it I'm like wow God this is like a difficult pill to swallow but there's There is some good stuff at the end. So bear with me as we go through this breakdown. So um, verse 18 starts out, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and me. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the first part I want to break down for you, that part that says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. Okay, remember that Paul is writing this. And Paul was not somebody who was riding around in a Ferrari eating ice cream and living the life. He was not (laughs) living the life. He was um, whipped. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was put in jail. Like this dude suffered a lot for the cause of Christ. And yet he says, hey, I went through all that. But I'm convinced that the suffering of this time are not even worth comparing. The suffering that I've had can't compare to Paul's. So for him to say that convicts me. The next part, for creation was subjected to futility. So the Hebrew word for vanity, which we saw back when Solomon, that guy who's so wise, and he's looking at the world around him, and he said, it's all pointless. This is all vanity. That word vanity used in Ecclesiastes translated into the Greek is the same as this word futility. What does that mean? Futility means pointless. So this wise man looks at the world and he says, it's all pointless. Paul's confirming here, yes, it's all pointless. Are you depressed yet? (laughs) All the world is pointless. It's subjected to pointlessness by the creator. Okay, let's move on. Bondage to corruption. Creation is in bondage to corruption. Now, corruption means two things. It means decay and it means dishonesty. So does anybody like science? If you're hearing me talk ever, I'm probably gonna say something about science. (laughs) So, no? Okay, just me. But I'm gonna tell you anyways. The second law of thermodynamics is basically a law of decay. All matter is in a state of decay. Everything you see is in a state of decay. It will pass away. And so I believe in this scripture that we're, it's pointing to both things. Corruption of decay, the world is subjected to that. When God said, Let there be and there was, and it began, it will have an end. There is a constant state of decay. Within us, spiritually, there's a constant state of corruption. We are subjected to that. And we were subjected to that upon the sin of Adam and Eve, right? So we need to understand that the world is in bondage to this law of corruption. So why are you keep trying to fix it? Where's your hope at? Is it in your government? (laughs) Yeah, that's laughable, right? Um, Is it in your spouse? Is it in your job? Are you hoping that your job takes care of you, your spouse? Though all those things are subject to corruption, I'm just got to tell you something. we're talking about government. I, I just got to tell you, God is not an American. He doesn't vote. He votes for himself. <laughs> He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. OK? And so if your hope is in anything but him, you lose. Now, I'm not against voting, by the way. I vote. We live in a country where my voice can be heard, and that's important. But if I think that if I vote for a certain person that I'm fixing the country, I've lost the war. So we're now in a point where the world is, you know, pointless and corrupt, You're all feeling the joy yet? Okay. The next part, obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Freedom of glory. So God is, has subjected the world in hope that we obtain freedom of the glory of children of God. Freedom of glory. This is not the world's idea of freedom. This is not America's idea of Freedom. God is the God of America, he's the God of Africa, he's the God of Russia, he's the God of Australia, and these people do not have the same ideas of freedom that we do. So get that idea of freedom out. It's not the freedom to do what we think we have the right to do. This is a different type of freedom, freedom of glory. And glory comes from suffering. We see that in Christ's example for us. His glory came... After he suffered. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Oh. Decay. Corrupted flesh. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed. Day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient the things that are unseen are eternal So we need to get our focus off of our current circumstance, whatever that may be. It could be that you're struggling with addiction, depression, marriage problems, job problems. Whatever it is, you need to take your focus off of that. That's what's seen. And put your focus on what is unseen. I want to tell you, um, God was kind of talking to me the other night about what I call the tale of two Christians. Okay, And these are actually real examples of people that um, that I've known in my life. So Christian number one, she's a young mother. She had a daughter of two. She died of medical complications. In the hospital, uh, grieving. I mean, I've never lost a child. I don't want to imagine even. I can't, and I don't want to imagine that crying over her her child's lifeless body and she's she's saying I don't know why God I don't know why but thank you thank you for this blessing that you gave me I didn't deserve it in the first place you gave me 2 years I don't know why the time was so short but thank you and she's in deep grief and she's still saying God thank you Without understanding of why, she's still saying thank you. In that, she impacted everybody around her. Like, wow, what is this lady got that? She's so hopeful. Christian number two a man having a hard time. He recently got divorced, struggling in his job. He's not, he doesn't have enough money. He says, I'm about to get fired. I don't have my rent money, I'm probably going to get evicted, I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I have no hope. I'm going to use the rest of my money to buy a beer and drink myself into oblivion. What else is there to do? What's the difference? Now, These are both Christians, mind you. They not only claim to believe in Jesus, but have a love for Jesus what's the difference between them? Hope, hope. So this passage that we just read in Romans, I'm actually going to read it through in the message version. I love the way that it says it, and we're going to move down. We've been kind of depressing, right? Like, y'all are like, where's, okay, I'm supposed to suffer in a pointless world. Where are you getting with this? Because I kind of don't want to be here right now. You're not helping me. We're we're going to get there, I promise. So I'm going to read this through the message version, uh, through verse 28. So that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times And the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains, but it's not only around us, it's in us. The Spirit of God is arousing within us. We're also feeling the birth pains, and then in the ESV it says we're experiencing that inward groaning. If you've ever been pregnant, you know what that means. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We wait. The larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy. I love that Paul is a man writing about being pregnant so poignantly. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I knew it had to be God. And as you women, like, you know, like, you don't, and it, mind you, Back then, they didn't have sonograms. They couldn't see, but a woman knew. A woman knew what she was carrying. She couldn't see it, but she knew. And so regardless of the pain, the larger she grew, the more pain she started going through. She's like, the moment I know I'm starting to get all that pain, the closer I am to my blessing. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right on alongside helping us if we don't know how or what to pray it doesn't matter he does our praying in and for us and we're talking about the Holy Spirit here earlier we talked about the necessity of the Holy Spirit to know now we're talking here we don't know what to say the Holy Spirit knows what to say. He does our praying in us and for us, making a prayer out of our wordless sighs and aching groans. How many of us have had wordless sighs and aching groans? He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition, and he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure, we can know that Every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Do you believe that? That is a promise. Amen. So we get to the end of this scripture. It starts out pretty depressing. We see the world is futile. It's in bondage and we're all going to suffer. But Paul here is affirming Christ's own words that we join With him in suffering, however, we are also joining with him in his glory. 1 Peter 4.13 says, rather be glad that you are sharing Christ's suffering. You're supposed to be happy about this, y'all. Be glad that you're joining in and sharing Christ's suffering so that you may be full of joy when his glory is revealed. So that's where we leave off at the end of this passage. Joyful anticipation in the midst of pain and suffering. So, anybody who has been pregnant, you know what that means. Even a dad, like you see your wife suffering, or maybe you're an aunt or whatever, like you see that lady suffering, and you know, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to help you, but I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited for them. I'm sorry, you're vomiting everywhere every five seconds, but I'm excited. And so that's where a fear turns into joyful anticipation, because despite what we can't see, we know. So that brings us to the ludicrous, the hope that the world sees as crazy. What does ludicrous mean? Foolish, laughable. I don't know about you, but I have been laughed at for things that I believe. I remember um, we were living in housing. We were in subsidized housing. And I didn't work. I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband, bless his heart, he he worked long hours. But we didn't have a lick of savings. We had nothing. We were paying bills. We were on food stamps. Like, you know. And I'm like, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get me a brand new house. It's going to be this big. And I'm going to have this. And I'm going to have that. They're like, oh, really? Like, so how much do you have saved for down pay? Nothing. We <laughs> don't have anything. We don't have money to put aside. I'm like, well, good luck with that. Um. I do have a brand-new house, by the way, and I still didn't have a lick of savings saved up. Actually, it worked out. My in-laws paid our entire down payment. So you should save, though. Just (laughs) saying, You should save. We just put that side note on there. So I want to give you some examples of some crazy stories in the Bible where these folks had some ludicrous hope. Okay, Abraham and Sarah. They're super old. They're old. They're in their hundreds. Sarah is is barren, so they know that she cannot physically have a baby. But God says that she's going to have a baby, and they wait for a long time. So despite the length of time that they've waited and the fact that, I mean, if somebody came to you and said, yeah, I'm 100. My wife's going to have a baby in a day now. You're like, okay. (laughs) He believed. He believed. And he knew, hey, if God said it, what it looks like in the physical, it don't matter. I know. When God says something, I know. He had a knowing hope. David and Goliath. So that's a famous story. David hears about this giant threatening Israel. And he starts asking questions um, to the other guards and, and leaders about there was a reward for killing this giant. And so he kind of just thinks to himself, yeah, despite the fact that this guy's a giant and everybody's scared of him, David's like, Who does this guy think he is? He's threatening God's people. He stands no chance. What's going on here? This is crazy. And so he he just gets it in his head like, hey, y'all let me have a shot at him. Despite the fact that he's little, he's never been in a battle. But because he just knows, hey, these are God's people. This guy, he he can't win. And so David goes in there, and we know the end of that story. David won. He knew. He had a knowing hope. The woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament. So she's hemorrhaging for 12 years, essentially bleeding for 12 years. She had spent all her money on on medical doctors to try to figure out and fix the problem. No one could help her. And and keep in mind in that culture back then, if a woman was bleeding, she wasn't supposed to be out in public. She was considered unclean. So for her to touch anybody or accidentally brush up against somebody, that would have been a huge no-no. So for her to go out in this group of people where Jesus was in these crowds was a big deal. But she... Goes out because she's heard about this guy who heals people and he's amazing. She's like, well, I need that. And she's desperate. So she goes out in the crowd. She's like, I don't even need to touch him. I just need to touch his clothes. That's all I need. So Jesus didn't even know that he healed her. That's the amazing part of this story. He didn't even know. She touched the hem of his garment, scripture says, and he felt power go out of him. So most other cases you see where people came, Jesus spoke to them or laid hands on them or whatever. He said, you're healed. He didn't even know he healed this woman. So it wasn't about what Jesus did. It was about what she did. She had a knowing hope. Then we have the paralytic at Capernaum. And I love this story because it's hilarious when you think about it. So this, this guy, Jesus is teaching in Capernaum and the crowd is massive at this point in Jesus' ministry in this building. It is packed. There's no room inside. But this group of men have this paralyzed friend and they're determined like, hey, our friend needs to get to Jesus. He needs healing. They can't get him in. And so these crazy guys go up on the roof, open a hole and take their paralyzed friend and start lowering him down in the middle of a crowd. So what's interesting about this story is it wasn't even the paralyzed guy. It was the hope of the friends. (laughs) They had a knowing hope if they could just get to God, it was going to be good. Then we have Paul and Silas in jail. So Paul and Silas were out ministering. This lady, psychic, is really irritating them. And finally, they're like, you know what? I'm done with you, lady. You're getting on our nerves. And so they deliver her of demons. <laughs> okay. And um, so they deliver her. And, and then the woman's owners, who, you know, they were basically like, her pimps in a way, she, she was their slave, and they get mad because now they're not going to make money off of her because she's been deliver, delivered of her demons, so they're arrested and they're put in jail, and while they're in jail, they're just singing and praising God in there, oh, glory, hallelujah, there's them behind bars, okay, <laughs> they're singing, and all of a sudden, God causes an earthquake, all of the prison doors open. So the jailer who's in there, he freaks out. He's like, "Oh my God! All the prisoners have escaped. You know, I'm going to be in so much trouble." So he's so scared that he actually goes to try to kill himself. And Paul and Silas yell at him, "Stop! No! Don't do it! We're all we're all still here." And then they have an opportunity then, and they pray for him. They pray over him. They baptize him. He feels great. So then they go pray for his whole family, baptize his whole family. So in the middle of jail, they had a knowing hope and subsequently impacted the people around them. So in the face of suffering, pain, and unimaginable circumstances, the hope that these stories convey is pretty ludicrous. Are you going to praise and worship in jail? I don't know. I think I might have a pity party the first couple days. (laughs) <laughs> That's typically how I operate I have a pity party first And then I'm like, okay, I'm done <clears throat> But none of these Miracles That happen After these people's hope From these people's hope Seem plausible in the moment They seem unreasonable If you just use logical deduction To so the world will view The hope we have in Christ As pretty ludicrous Because it is defies logic. It's not of this world. So in Hebrews 11.1, this is a famous scripture that I've heard all my life. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That sounds great. I didn't really know what it meant. How many of you do that? Like, I hear scriptures, and I'm like, amen, and I really don't know what it means. It just sounds good. But faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So I saw this demonstration some time ago, and as I was, you know, talking to God about this message, he brought it to my remembrance, and it all started to click. So I have this lighter here, and this object has a purpose, right? It's supposed to produce fire for whatever I need it for supposed to produce fire. And there's some important components here. It needs to have the substance inside of it, the fuel. There's, it needs the vessel to hold it. There's a mechanism on top that when activated, it will ignite the substance. So you have the vessel filled with a substance, equipped with a mechanism. What tends to happen, mind you, the slider has a purpose, but it's not activated right now, right? It's not producing the fire yet. But all the things are there. All the things necessary are there. What tends to happen in our lives, God has given us everything that we need. But what may happen is the enemy comes along and he says, You're not enough. Your marriage is falling apart. People are gossiping about you. You're going to throw your back out on Memorial Day when you're supposed to deliver a sermon the following Sunday. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) And now what we're supposed to do is be able to do that, right? All the components my purpose hasn't changed nothing has changed except my perception of everything the enemy has thrown at me I still have faith the substance this vessel is me the substance inside the fuel that's my faith this mechanism on top is the hope that ignites my hope has been dampened by all the stuff thrown at me by the enemy. Here's the interesting thing. All it takes is a little bit of hope from somebody who comes along and shows us what God meant for us. By the way, the Holy Spirit is fire. It is what empowers us to affect the world around us. All the truth in the world. We can know all the scripture. It's not sustainable and it means nothing unless we have the power to bring it to life. Our hope is not in the rose-colored glasses of the world. We're not hoping that the Spurs win. Not that kind of hope, right? It's not about that. Scripture says... Jesus says in in Luke, the kingdom is in you. It's among you. The Pharisees were arguing him about when the kingdom was coming. He was like, it's right here. What is the kingdom? Later on in scripture, we find out that the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. In what? The Holy Spirit. Ah. And I would venture to say that the substance that carries the kingdom is hope. Do you want to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? This is righteousness despite your sin. Okay? This is peace despite the chaos and the fear and the trouble. This is joy despite the pain and the suffering. Hope is the substance that carries that. Faith is the substance that carries that. Hope ignites it and the Holy Spirit creates the fire that ignites the person next to us that then goes and ignites the person next to them until you have a revival on your hands and everybody is on fire. Amen. Holy Spirit, knowing knowing a joyful anticipation through suffering. So that brings me back to the scripture we read earlier in Romans 5. This hope will not lead to disappointment. We know how dearly God loves us. He has given us a precious gift, an empowering gift of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you this morning, if we could all stand. Some of you in here today came here and you didn't know maybe what you were hoping for. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are struggling with things that you don't even understand. I wanna ask you a question. First of all, do you know Jesus? Is there anybody in here this morning who has never made that profession, made that move towards the cross? Raise your hand if that's you. If you have not accepted Jesus, if you have had a pull this morning, and that applies to you. If that is you and you're self-conscious about raising your hand, I encourage you, don't let self-consciousness stop you from moving towards him nothing is compared to the glory that we have in him if you haven't been baptized let me remind you the holy spirit is not a side note or a sidekick to god throughout this message we have heard hey we know god loves us why through the holy spirit hey you have righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit we know that the holy spirit is how we walk empowered to affect change in ourselves and others So I encourage you, if it is you, if you are after that fire this morning, if you are struggling, if you are hurting, if the prayer team would come up, we are going to have people pray for you. We're going to have our wonderful prayer team pray for you. The presence of God isn't just in this place. The presence of God is present with you. The kingdom of God is with you wherever you go. Don't leave here like you came. We're going to worship with the worship team. Guests, if you have somewhere you need to be, you are dismissed. But we want to spend some time worshiping, just giving God glory. Reaching out for the hope that sustains, the hope that does not disappoint in every area of our lives, whatever it may be. We want to worship God this morning. In Jesus' name.